And 13 will probably be Kurt Warner because it matches his jersey number. And then, you know, who knows? After that, we'll just be rolling. <laughs> if only we could dream, we could reach for the stars. We could hope to get such people, but we are very You're happy just that you're banking here. on Nick's contacts. Nick's Rolodex is going to feed this <laughs> podcast. Well, this is where it ends, Sean. Bad news for you. This is this is about it. So you better do some hard thinking. Kate better get her ass back on a plane from Montreal really soon for episode eleven. It's time for another episode of the Gridiron Podcast. It is episode 10. I'm Nick Shook to my Tan. right. I'm freaking Tan. That's Sean Barry. Um, Katie Colwell is not with us this week because she is in the former home of the Washington Nationals that is Montreal, Canada for the Netflix is a joke festival. And and perhaps more importantly, she's out running wildfires right now. So it's just me and Sean, but we have a special guest right now. He's one of my favorite colleagues at NFL Network. He does fantastic work there and with John Boy Media. Everybody, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Chris Rose. Chris, how you doing? My God, look at how crooked my picture is. My God, is that horrible. I apologize. I told Sean, listen, I told Nick when he asked me last week at our NFL media seminar, he's like, hey, will you come on? I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, what do you use, Zoom? And he goes, no, we use StreamYard. And I hope you guys aren't, um, like, sponsored by StreamYard. I hope, like, none of your parents own stock in StreamYard. But it's non-compatible with the Rose computer. So the best I could do is my iPhone which unfortunately sits on a very crooked angle. So I think I'm going to get a crink in my neck at the Your end. Your mistake thing. was thinking that this was any kind of actual, you know, professional operation. So you don't hey, need to apologize at all. Sean, there must be tens of people listening right now. Tens so, of that. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hey, well, you <laughs> said this was, this was episode number 10. Yeah. So we got to do double digits somewhere. Cheers yeah. to you guys. Let's go. Well, Hopefully your star power brings people in. They see your name yeah. mentioned in the tweets and they're like, oh, we got to watch this one. We got to watch episode 10. It's a big one. Well, uh, wait for 11 <laughs> when Eisen shows up and then 12 when Irvin comes out of whatever cave he's in and 13 will probably be Kurt Warner because it matches his jersey number. And then, you know, who knows after that, we'll just be rolling. <laughs> if only we could dream we could reach for the stars we could hope to get such people but we are very You're happy just that you banking on nick's contacts nick's rolodex is going to feed this <laughs> podcast well this is where it ends sean bad news for you this is this is about it so you better do some hard thinking kate better get her ass back on a plane from montreal really soon for episode 11 yeah katie she's in canada she needs to uh reach into the canadian rolodex and, and help us out here for sure it's episode 10. Uh, Chris, if the intro didn't uh, help explain it, uh, we'll explain it to you again. The Gridiron Podcast is an, a podcast about football and Formula One. The grid being the Formula One part, mm. the gridiron being football. So I, before we get into the football part of things, how familiar, how attuned are you to Formula One? So uh, 20 plus years ago, I used to work at CNN in Atlanta. That was my first like big opportunity. and you know, we had a big international department with CNN, and F1 was the thing back then. Um, that's like the days of David Coltard uh, winning stuff left and right. 
I have lost touch since I've primarily been a football baseball guy the last two decades. I understand its appeal um, worldwide. I get it. In fact, I do another show called BattleBox, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's robot fighting. And we have built our home in Las Vegas. And one of the reasons we can't shoot our next season when we want to is because the first F1 race is going to be going on in Vegas. They're like, yeah, well, you got to take that, you know, 10th city down. You can't be here. I was like, why can't we be here? Like, yeah, there's something else. It's pretty big in November. Yeah, and based on how uh, F1's currently treating the hotels and restaurants near the racetrack, mm, trying to charge them insane. a fee, uh, I can I can totally believe that story. By the way, BattleBots, not only have I heard of that, Chris, that's my one of my dad's favorite shows. So yeah. he's, he's a big fan. Well, put dad and myself on a text chain, please, the minute we're done with this, so we can talk about all the intricacies of BattleBots and what goes into it. And by the way, I've already put both you guys on the short list for Motel 6. It will only cost you twenty three hundred a night. Bring your Sold. own roaches. Sold. Yes. Yeah. We'll leave the light on for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> the, the red light, maybe. <laughs> That's Vegas, baby. <laughs> All right, let's dive right into the topic at hand, and we are going to preview the AFC North, the latest stop in our series. The NFC is done. We're moving over to the AFC, oh, and who okay. better than Chris to come through? and give us the division, the breakdown of the division in which his favorite team happens to reside. But we're not going to start there, Chris. We're actually going to go in order of how the prognosticators think that this division will shake out because I know it's surprising for you and I to consider, and especially for Sean, the Steeler fan, to consider. But right now, the top dog in the division is the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're going to talk be. about them. Yes, they, right, they should. And the way we do this is, Sean, would you like to explain our process here? Sure. So what we do here is I'm going to read out the schedule for the Bengals week by week. Real quick, though, real fast, like just bullet points. And then after that, uh, I am going to give you a prediction it's an over under. So you got to guess the over or the under and we'll come back at the end of the season and see who got it right, who got it wrong and which guests performed the best. Uh, OK, that's pretty much the name of the game. The caveat here is this is from now we don't gamble here, obviously, but this is from like the Sean Barry sportsbook. I made these numbers out of thin air, not according to anyone else's statistics. This is just, I went through the schedule and thought, okay, this sounds about right. So starting okay. off with the uh, two-time defending AFC North champs, the Cincinnati Bengals. Starting off week one on the road at Cleveland, at home against Baltimore and the Rams, then on the road against Tennessee and Arizona, back home against Seattle by week, week seven. Then they hit the road. For a little West Coast trip to San Francisco, back home against Buffalo and Houston. Uh, then on the road against Baltimore, back home against the Steelers, on the road against the Jags, at home against Indy and Minnesota. little road swing here to Pittsburgh and then KC for Week 17. That'll be a huge matchup. That's probably – go ahead and flex that already out of the 425 spot. And uh -huh. then wrapping things up, Week 18 at home against the Brands. So here's my prediction. Yes. Over under ten and a half. Oh boy. I think over by a half. I think Ooh. they get to eleven and six. And I think that's pretty good in this division. I really do. If you look at their first six games that they have before the bye, that they can't afford an 0 and two start like they had last year and a four and four start like they had and then run the table. I just don't see that happening. 
with this schedule. Uh, I always hate playing the schedule game because there's always at least four teams that go from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs, and there's always one that goes from last place to winning a division. So I hate to do the schedule game, but since you asked me, John. Um, That's why you're here, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, listen, they've got a couple of, in my opinion, a couple of layups in Tennessee and Arizona. Um, that's like, that's the homecoming game, even though it's on the road for Cincinnati. At Cleveland to start out with, it's been very odd. They have not played great in Cleveland over the years, but we know that the Browns last year finally won a week one game for the first time, I think, since, since 75 when Mike Phipps was under center. Um, <laughs> and then the Seattle game, that, that being at home and an early start probably will end up helping them. So they could, get out of the gate in a hurry, and they're going to have to because right after the bye, that schedule gets gets a little dicey, as we like to say. Yeah, once you get down that, that back half of the schedule, I mean, the only games that I even see that are remotely uh, easy is probably the AFC South stops, you know, Houston yep. and Indianapolis. The rest of it, I mean, at San Francisco, at Baltimore, at Jacksonville, uh, it's at annoying. Pittsburgh, at Kansas City. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough for them, and yet – I mean, I think this division itself is going to be difficult overall. It could be one of the best divisions in football, one of the most difficult. And and there's certainly um, there's not many easy stops to them other than the early part. So I totally agree. Now, I'm going to ask you this real quick, Chris. Um, what about the Bengals? Do you like as it pertains to their standing in the rest of the division? I mean, obviously, they got a lot coming back. But like, what really makes you think that they could do this again? Because it's hard to sustain success. I do think that they got a serious upgrade at left tackle. I think that was a really good move, particularly for the price tag. Uh, what did Orlando Brown sign for four for 64, a little bit over 30 guaranteed. And for years, you know, I do the Browns preseason schedule and Joe Thomas, who's about to go in the hall of fame for years. He was like, they have to kick Jonah Williams to the other side. Like if they make him a right tackle and can find a really dependable left tackle, they're going to be in good shape. And when Joe Thomas is talking offensive line, I'm going to listen. So I think that that's a big deal for them. I I cannot believe the Bengals lucked into Joe Burrow the way they did. This is like, the Browns have been trying this for years with the number one <laughs> overall pick. Like, we couldn't have figured that. I know people would be like, well, hold on. In 2017, you could have had Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but there were some people who were like, the Chiefs traded up 17 spots to go get Patrick Mahomes, like the guy who plays the backyard ball, who zings it all over the place and didn't have a winning record at Texas Tech. Like, it's easy for us to say now, yeah. But they also ended up getting Miles Garrett. So we all knew that Joe Burrow was going to be the pick the year he came out. And he has he is unbelievable. Everything he does and says is like unbelievably on point. He's been like that. I was in the press box at the formerly named First Energy Stadium in week two of his rookie season. Bengals, Browns, I think it was a Thursday night game. A Thursday night game, yeah. Yeah, and they're dropping him back to pass damn near 60 times and yeah. an unrelenting rush coming after him. And he stood in there and handled the entire environment as if he'd been in the league for 10 years. I was stunned. I had never seen a And mind you, this is the same seat where you watch guys like, um, well, I don't know, Brandon Whedon. I mean, you can run down the list, a long list. and And they all... You know, we don't have all night, Nick. I know. Typically, rookie quarterbacks look, you know, overwhelmed. He did not. And, and he's only grown from there, even after having the season ending knee injury. So totally agree with you on that. Sean, uh, let's let's get your over under here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to agree. I, I think over as well, the Bengals. 
they've only gotten better over the years. And with that experience under center with Joe Burrow, I mean, that's just such a dangerous team. But that being said, the AFC North is still going to be one of, I don't want to say it's automatically going to be the best division in football because that's not always going to be true. You know, we hailed the AFC West last year. Well, I mean, it could be, but we hailed the AFC West as this this unbeatable gauntlet last year and, you know, half the division turned out to be a paper tiger. I don't want to anoint the AFC North that just yet. It could be, but I think it will certainly be the closest division. Top to bottom, these teams are the closest of any four you'll find in the NFL. So I'm still going to go with the over. I still want to pick them to win the division and be one of maybe not the top two seeds just because, again, you got to run through the gauntlet of the division. And yeah, Nick, you're right. After that bye week, that is not an easy schedule. Gone are the days where, you know, Buffalo, Cleveland, Jacksonville are, you know, win, win, win. This is this is a difficult schedule, a difficult backloaded schedule. So you're right. They need to get off to a quick hurry, but I think they will. And I'm going to take the over as well. I'll agree with you. They'll probably get about 11 or 12 wins. Yeah, despite, yeah. you know, I'd love to disagree for the sake of debate, but I have to agree as well. I'm going with the over and just by a slight margin. And, and I just keep thinking, like, what if they come out of the first five weeks and they're four and one? I mean... They're going to be the they're going to be a talk of you know football for a while anyway. Not the talk, but among the hot topics throughout the season. But they come out four and one going to that Seattle game at home in week six. And let's say Seattle gets out gets off to a strong start. Next thing you know, I mean that's must see TV and and right. and they're going to be in the conversation the entire season. So um, I expect nothing but uh, the thing is is you know when you look at most teams, you think all right, you got to stay healthy. They haven't stayed healthy in the playoffs. They've had offensive line issues right. in each of the last two years. They were a uh, one you know penalty away from potentially winning the AFC Championship game this past year. And the year before, they had a patchwork offensive line to get all the way to the Super Bowl. So they're almost good enough to kind of overcome that as long as you know it happens up front. So I have a ton of confidence in them. They're going to be the team to beat. And if they're the team to beat, it's an easy over for me. Let's move on to the next team. Let's hey, go to the ball. Nick, real quick. Yeah? Are we just going to ignore that you've hired Johnny Manziel as your font coordinator? This is not the <laughs> NFC West preview. <laughs> you're right. I mean, let's go. You know, I mean, I appreciate you that you're giving Johnny work, which is awesome. It's oh, really cool goodness. of you guys. But come on. Well, Johnny. you know, Johnny's got a lot of work recently. He's got that documentary coming out. You know, yeah, he does. It's not, like, it's not like he needs the money, but it's a good thing. You know, as a former editor, I, I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed at the moment, but I'm glad you spotted that because I would have ran through all four of them like that. That's okay. That's all right. So let's continue with the NFC West preview, guys. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah the, the NFC West. West. We're moving the along to San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the uh, NFC West staples that are the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, of course. Uh, they start off the season at home against Houston, on the road against Cincy, back home against Indy, then a road swing against Cleveland, Pittsburgh, back home against Tennessee and Detroit. Week eight, they're on the road in Arizona, then back home to face Seattle and Cleveland and Cincinnati on the road for week 12 against the uh, Chargers, and then week 13 is the Ravens' bye week, which at that point may mercifully come. Uh, week 14, they're starting things back up again against the Rams at home, then on the road against the Jags and Niners, and then they have a two-game homestand to finish off the season, week 17 and 18, against the Dolphins and Steelers, respectively. You guys aren't going to like what I do for the rest of the division, but I said this is the closest division on paper that we have in the mm-hmm. NFL, so I said the Bengals were 10 and a half. I'm I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert here. Every other team I have is at nine and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under. 
I think that they Why are. Why you didn't uh, take my answers? Come on! I thought it was going to be edgy by t- saying under. No, sorry. I I think they're one of the teams I've got circled that I don't know what they could be. They could be like a seven win team, or they could be an eleven win team. And so I'm going to take the one right in the middle. Um, obviously, changing offensive coordinators could be a big deal. Uh, I was a huge Zay Flowers guy coming out of the draft. I really liked what I heard about this kid. But for years, haven't we heard that the Ravens' passing game is going to be different this time around? So, sure, they've got Zay Flowers, who's a talented kid, certainly looks that way. They've got Odell Beckham Jr., who after a year off, now in his 30s, I don't know what we are there. Rashad Bateman. I mean, it's not like they haven't spent high draft capital on that position. They have. They had Hollywood Brown five years ago. They had Rashad Bateman two years ago. They've now got Zay Flowers. They've had some guys that have been third-round picks. None of this stuff has worked. So just because Todd Munkin leaves Athens, Georgia for Baltimore, Maryland, all of a sudden we think everything's going to be okay? And oh, by the way, I love watching Lamar Jackson play. I really do. I think he's just so different. He plays with a flair. He seems like a good, fun-loving kid. Well, now he got his dough. That narrative is, is over. You know, for all the people who are like, why aren't they paying Lamar? Well, now they've paid Lamar. So now, the one in three playoff record and the not playing any meaningful games in December the last two years, that's not okay. That is not okay. He has got to take it up a level. I get it that he's already been a league MVP in 2019 when he led the, the league with 36 touchdown passes and was running for 1,000 yards. Get back to that player. Be that guy. Be available for your team in these must-win games. He wasn't there last year when they lost to Cincinnati. How's – let's go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. He wasn't there each of the last two years, right? I mean, he, this is a guy who – he gets injured, but he doesn't get injured in the way that everybody thinks. Oh, he's a running quarterback. He's going to get hurt. He gets no, injured when he's, he's dropping back to pass. Yes, yeah, so he's dropping back to pass. He's getting hit from behind, whatever it is. And yet, um, that's been the narrative, like you said. And let me tell you this real quick. Todd Munkin is not the savior that everybody thinks he is. How do I know? I was there when he was with the 2019 Browns as the offensive coordinator. Do you remember that show? Wasn't pretty. Yeah. At all. He doesn't just, you can't just replace an offensive coordinator and expect everything to be perfect all of a sudden for a team that, yeah, they've, they've had some receivers. They've spent some money on receivers. They still rely on Mark Andrews as number one. I mean, and he's your tight end. If, if I, I hate to think that a way that you ran the offense was so successful that when you 14 games that had you at the top of the crop going to the playoffs before you ultimately fell short suddenly you can't be that team anymore. I just, I don't know what it's going to look like. I agree with you. I think their defense is very strong. Um, you know, making the, uh, the trade last year for Roquan Smith and then extending him makes sense. Patrick Queen, he's kind of in a prove it year. The back end of the secondary is still strong. I think Kyle Hamilton, PFF's highest graded safety last year, even though he didn't really play traditionally, traditional safety for most of the season. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong group. The front uh-huh. four kind of concerns me a little bit. You lost Clayus Campbell. You're relying on guys like Broderick Washington at defensive tackle, Odafe Owe at, at rush end. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what David Ojaba does now that he's healthy, but there's some question marks in that initial front four that I'm not so certain of. And again, the offense, what are they going to be? I totally agree with you. That's why I'm also going under because 
if there's one team that I have to pick when I think about all four of these teams to finish in last place, it's surprisingly enough, it's the Ravens because of all these issues we just discussed. I thought I was going to be like really, really edgy and you both were going to take the over and I was going to look like the, you know, the cocky Steelers fan that's going to pick the Ravens to finish like towards the bottom. I didn't know I was going to wind up agreeing with both of you, but okay, here Ah. we go. Uh, Yeah, I'm also taking the under. I'm not high on the Ravens for a variety of issues. You kind of mentioned it. Uh, They are not hitting on these wide receivers that they draft high for as if I can be the cocky Steelers fan for a second. As good as the Steelers are of finding wide receiver talent in the draft, Nick, put your headphones back on. <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens are not for some reason. And you're right. It is now a put-up-or-shut-up time for Lamar. He got his money. When I saw him play here in Tampa last year on Thursday night, I was waiting for that patented Lamar that I've seen so many times and that has proven me wrong over the years. And I only saw it for one play. Yes, the Ravens would go on to win that game, but I, I I saw a glimpse of what Lamar could do. And I don't know if he was already injured at that point in the year, but it's one of those things where he's going to get injured eventually. And that takes away such a key part of his game. And I don't know if the Ravens can survive in a division as you know, hotly contested as the AFC North without their $200 million guy. So I will also take the under. It's a tough schedule. Um, it's a tough division, and if the Ravens don't finish last, I got them right there at third. Yeah, I mean, it is that simple. Let's move on uh, to the next team in this. And this is now where we enter the Sean Berry zone, everybody. Saddle oh, up. I thought we were gonna, oh, I thought we were going to do the Steelers last. Okay. No, why would I do that? <laughs> I thought you said, I've seen them pick finish last everywhere. No, no, we're going, so, we're going all, all the way over to Crafton, Pennsylvania, Sean's hometown. Borough of home. Pittsburgh. Who, the who's Pittsburgh the home, home of home of who, Nick? Craft and PA, home of who? No, I forget. Uh, Bill Carpar. Oh. <laughs> yeah, man. Bill Carpar, baby. That. All right, what's the uh, over? All right. all right, the Steelers start off the season at home for the first time in what feels like forever against the Niners, Wolf. Then at home against Cleveland, on the road against Vegas and Houston, back home against Baltimore before a week six bye week, an early one for the Steelers. Uh, Week seven, back on the road against the Rams, then back at home against Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Green Bay. Back on the road against Cleveland, Cincinnati, back home against the Cardinals and Patriots, on the road against Indianapolis, and then back home against the Bengals for week uh, 16. 16, thank you. Lost that for a second. And then finishing off uh, a two-game road swing on uh, Week 17 and 18 against Seattle and Baltimore. So crisscrossing the country there Week 17 and 18. That'll be tough. But again, as I said, I have every other team in this division at over under 9.5. What do you think, Chris? I think over. Um, I think you don't ever want to win the offseason, but I think the Steelers did. Everything they did made perfect sense. From their free agency to what they drafted, I thought they really, really they. What happened? Is he is he okay? John, I think he's I think, he, I think he's 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 taken aback. He, he had he had Are, to have is take, he okay? Oh, oh. What? well, thank God. What does that say? Pierogi on it. What what I miss? What I, what I miss? What I miss? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see you. Um, that's an interesting creamsicle. To go with the black and gold, but okay, why I, not? I, I I got the move. It was two for one, so I got I got the Tampa one too. Okay, yeah, 
I thought maybe you were good. I thought Wiz Khalifa was maybe over uh, and hanging out with you since he just threw out the first pitch in Pittsburgh recently. <laughs> um, I loved everything they did. It really made perfect sense. Now, the question is, what does Kenny Pickett bring to the table? They cannot, he cannot just be good enough. Look at the AFC. I mean, he's probably going into the season out of those 16 teams. Where does he rank as a starting quarterback? 11? Near the bottom. No, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Near the bottom, yeah. Yeah, they have to be able, wouldn't you agree, they have to be able to stretch the field a little bit. The last yes. three years, whether it's been Big Ben, Mason Rudolph, or now Kenny Pickett throwing the ball, it is so much easier to play defense if you're not scared. And they do have guys. I mean, the fact that Deontay Johnson didn't catch a touchdown last year, he had the most catches in a single season without finding the end zone. I think he had 86 snags or something like that. And, you know, they got the talent to do it. You know, now they've got two young tight ends that they can run up the seam, it looks like. Picking is going to be... I don't know. I, I I don't know where we sit with them, but I think 10 wins is, is a good year just because that defense. Well, you, you know what the most important thing about this is, you know, everything you just mentioned, you're absolutely right. But the offensive line has been their Achilles heel in the last few years. And I think that they're finally at a place now where they can feel confident about it. Now, I'm not so sure about right tackle. Chuck's a core of you know, I'm 50 50 on him. But you go draft Broderick Jones, who does not look like any other tackle that you see in a normal draft class. I'm sitting there in the stadium combine watching him go through all the drills. And I'm like, what is he like at a 90-degree angle? He's got the widest base I've ever seen yep. in a lineman running through that. And, and, and But I think he's going to be very solid stepping right into that offensive line. They get Isaac Samalo from the Eagles. He's got championship-winning experience. Um, you know, He's above a replacement-level guard, which is what they need. They have some depth with guys like Kevin Dotson and Kendrick Green back there, and even Nate Herbig as well. I mean, they've all... Most of those guys have, you know, starting experience. James Daniels at right guard. This is a solid offensive line, which is what they have needed for the last two years. They've run Najee Harris into a brick wall for his first two years of his career and asked way too much of him. Well, now they've surrounded this offense, you know, the, the, some of these, you know, this offensive line with these skilled players that, that are, you know, potentially going to do some good things. Allen Robinson comes from the exile that was his year with the Rams, comes over here, and comes into an offense, I think he can instantly make an impact. Calvin Austin lost his entire rookie year to, to injury. He could be a guy that nobody's even paying attention to who comes in and makes a big difference. Of course, he got Pickens, who stood way out in some of the next-gen stuff for contested catches because of his frame and his ability to go up and get the ball. I think him and Pickett have already established a rapport that they're going to lean on a lot. Pat Fryermuth, probably one of the best under-25 tight ends in, in the NFL, at least in terms of production at this point, because Kyle Pitts, Atlanta doesn't know what to do with him. Oh, I mean, boy. this is this is just a, a whole group as a whole. And Darnell Washington, who slid way down and was there for the Steelers to take because of you know injury concerns, knee issues or whatever. I think that I'm totally on the same page with you. I think they could surprise a lot of people. We know what their defense brings to the table. And they got a coach in Mike Tomlin who's been there for a long time and has never had a losing record. So, mm -hmm. yeah, totally, I'm going over as well. I, it's going to be an absolute dogfight for this division, top to bottom. And I could very much see the, the Browns who we're going to get to next and the Steelers coming down to those last few weeks of the season battling for one of those wild card spots. It could be like it was in 2020 when you got three teams from the AFC North making the playoffs. It just And I know totally. that nobody's going to look at the Steelers and think this, but if you just look at how they were at the end of last year and the potential that's there with these guys, I mean, I would not at all be surprised if they battled for the, the division title at this point. 
possible. I'm cautiously optimistic as a Steelers fan for all the reasons you guys just mentioned. They there is a feeling that they did win the offseason, but at the same time, that only goes so far because remember the Browns were offseason champs like three years in a row. Uh, it's one of those things where the talent is there. You're right, Nick. The talent is there, but what will Kenny Pickett produce for the Steelers? He was adequate down the stretch. You know, sure, they finished the year seven and two, but was he the reason for that? Not 100%. Yeah, he had those heroic, you know, last minute drives against uh, the Raiders and then the Ravens to cap off the season. But we need to see more of that and we need to see it consistently. I agree all the pieces are there. But the biggest thing that neither of you mentioned, Mike Tomlin still never had a losing season. No, I mentioned that. Nick Nick, Nick mentioned that. I mentioned that. You said they had Mike. Okay, sorry. Sean Barry, tuning me out week by week here on the Gridiron Pod. I've been listening to you for like Good to see you guys get along well. This is Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Ever since 2010, Sean's been tuning me out. (laughs) Tomlin still never had a losing season. I'm not going to pick him to have one now. Um, Mm -hmm. And a maturing Kenny Pickett, a maturing offense, a better offensive line. Why isn't that worth another win or two? So I've got him at 11 wins. Could be as high as 12, could be as low as eight. Yeah. Uh, just one other thing. Um, did you know Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season in 16 <laughs> Wait, hold years. on. I got I to gotta, I gotta check that real quick. Hold on. I got to Google this. I, I, yeah. I don't believe you. Yeah. I will say this, though. The game has changed so significantly, even the last six to seven years. Like, the last team that couldn't consistently throw the ball downfield, in my opinion, and won a Super Bowl was probably the Broncos in Super Bowl 50, right, when they kept changing yeah. quarterbacks. And yeah. at the end, Pey- Peyton was just kind of a – felt like a placeholder, if nothing else. Just you got to push it downfield a little bit. Um, and some people will say, well, what about New England a couple of those years? Well, Brady still gave you that threat where he would throw the ball downfield, still could zing it, even into his 40s. And every other team now, that's how it rolls, man. You've got to be able to at least pose some sort of threat to the defense. And that's what I'll be watching in the early going. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, all right. Last uh, last team on the docket here would be, of course, mm. drum roll, please, the Cleveland Brands. Yes. Uh, there we go. All right. Starting off. Week one at home against the Bengals. Uh, week two. Monday Night Football in Pittsburgh, then back home against Tennessee and Baltimore. A week five bye week. That's that's rough. I hate early bye weeks. I hate early bye weeks so much. Uh, Week six at home against San Francisco, then on the road against Indy and Seattle. Back home against Arizona, on the road against Baltimore in week 10. Week 11 at home against Pittsburgh, uh, then on the road in weeks 12 and 13 against Denver and the Rams. Back home against the Jags and Bears in week 14 and 15. And then finishing off the season. Uh, at Houston, at home against the Jets, and on the road against Cincinnati. And I think ESPN's putting a little bit of uh, magic on this one because that game time in Week 18 is TBD. Mm. <laughs> so like I said before, over under, nine and a half. Got Deshaun Watson for a full season now. Uh, hey, I mean, the talent's there. The talent is there in Cleveland. I feel like we can say that about all four teams in this division, but will it be finally put together? I I would say the I would take over nine and a half. I think they're looking at ten and seven, 
And if they get fortunate, maybe an 11-6 and six season. There is a lot of talent. Now, once again, we just got done talking about Kenny Pickett and what he brings to the table. If Deshaun Watson looks like Deshaun Watson from last season, they've got no shot. They'll have a losing record, and they'll probably have a new regime in there. If he goes back to what we saw in 2020, and it's been a long time since we saw that Deshaun Watson, they're going to be in really good shape because he made an average receiving core, below average offensive line, no running game, no tight end to speak of sort of team. Even though their record was not good, at least their offense at times was watchable because of him. And there is infinitely more talent on this team than there was on some of those Houston Texans teams. Um, I like what they did with the receiving core. Uh, I feel okay about their tight end room. I certainly hope that Nick Chubb stays healthy because I think that offense can be pretty dynamic, but it just comes down to Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's it's the beginning and end of the discussion offensively. Wouldn't you agree, Nick? Yeah. And I'm glad that you, that was your leading point because Deshaun is, there's two sides to the Deshaun Watson coin right now, at least in terms of his performance. There's the majority of the, the, you know, partial season that he played last year, which was ugly. You know, like you said, if he plays like that, they're going to clean house. It's going to be a a bad situation. It's going to be a bad contract. But there was that third quarter in Washington, that second half where he led three straight touchdown drives, where I was like, that's, that's him. That's him right there. I think it's really tough to go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I I cut you off. Oh, I, I think it's really tough to judge a guy off of a shortened season when he's got a year and a half out of football. I mean, it's just it's it's really difficult to get a good feel for a guy who's playing week one football in week 13 in a new offense sitting out for all that time. It's difficult. And what I caution against, though, is this whole offseason narrative of they're going to open the offense up. It's going to be five wide. It's going to be great. They're going to throw the ball over the field. Nick Chubb's not even going to be needed that much. That's that's hyperbolic. I, I think uh, what I what I worry about is that Kevin Stefanski screws it up. I, I know he's he's a, a solid offensive mind, but I just worry that he'll overcoach and, and try to get a little too cute at times. That's that's the fan in the back of my head speaking there. But, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Offensively, he does get. I actually think he's a really good play caller, to be honest with you. And no coach, including the ones up in New England, had Jacoby Brissett playing at a higher level throughout his career. Brissett looked like if you had just used cut-ups of Jacoby Brissett's season, the first 11 games, and not shown the rest of the game, and you would have said, well, okay, what's the Browns record after 11 games? You would have said 7-4 and or 6-5 and at worst because he played that well. The rest of the team was a mess, which is why, in my opinion, the biggest pickup they made in the offseason was Jim Schwartz. I'm super excited to see what the wide nine looks like with Miles Garrett on one side and Zadarius Smith on the other. They do have question marks still, depth on the interior uh, defensive line. Who's healthy enough to play linebacker? Can they clean up what happened with those multiple blown coverages in the secondary last year, which was a disaster? I just think Jim Schwartz is still a really solid football brain. And I think that's going to make a huge, huge difference with this team as well. That does kind of go back to the discussion, uh, though, of, and I'm on board with you just for the record, but how much can a coordinator, how much of an impact can he make in his first year somewhere? Can I mean, the bar is very low. The Joe Woods defense was 
on the floor. I mean, with the way that they were, you know, botching their coverages and blowing games that they should have won. So any improvement, you know, it would be really appreciated for this. Right. But how much of a difference can they make? Can he, you know, bring them up to a point where that's a playoff caliber defense? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hope hope springs eternal. Yeah, I think so. What do you What do you have, Sean? For us, you going over Uh, or under? I'm actually going under. I I have them right at at nine. I think they'll Mm -hmm. come in third place in the division. I agree with you, Nick. I think the Ravens will finish last to uh, the surprise of a lot of people. Uh, But it's going to be close. It's it's really hard to judge this division, and that's why I'm slotting. You know. Bengals one, Steelers two, kind of fighting for a wild card spot. I think the Bengals or the uh, Browns will be there for a wild card fight towards the end. Uh, it's just I, I need to see it first, and I've seen all the hype around the Browns over the last couple of years. And I mean, last year, I you know, not entirely their fault because Deshaun Watson didn't play for the first eleven games. What would have it looked like if he had? It's just kind of one of those things where I need to see them do it before I'm going to give them any kind of props. That's fair. Um, I, I will say this about about the roster as a whole as I'm just looking at it again. The depth is surprisingly good. I know there's some concerns defensive interior, but like I, I mean, they had a receiving core that desperately needed guys. And now I'm looking at this down here. I'm like, well, a lot of these guys are going to lose their job because there's just not enough room for everybody. Even on the right. offensive line, you know, you've got some guys with experience. I still I love Nick Harris coming out of Washington, and I really wanted him to develop into the center of the future. And Obviously, he got hurt last year, so that got in the way. But I, I mean, I just I like the potential at the tight end room. Jordan Akins was sneaky good in Houston um, and made a, an life. impact that I think he's going to fit into this offense really well opposite David Njoku. And you know, you still have in Harrison Bryant as well. So there's a lot of depth there that, that I'm I'm excited to see, you know, because that's going to matter as you get through the, the course of an 18 week season. I do think and I think this is our final point here that if they finish what you said, Sean, at nine and eight, is that going to be good enough? For ownership to say, okay, we made a little bit of progress because unlike the Steelers who have had three coaches in the last 178 years, the Browns for a while changed coaches more frequently than Shook changed his underwear, which is a problem <laughs> on this show. Oh my God. Uh, yikes. Uh, that sounds like a skin infection waiting to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the big question. That's and. Honestly, I thought they were going to fire him last year. So it, it, it we're in a situation with this team where you, you how far can you go where you're like, oh, we just got to stay the course. They're right around the corner because we, what we hear every year, every offseason is, well, you're wasting these guys' primes. Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, you're wasting their primes. You go nine and eight. Oh, man, that's going to be a tough decision to make. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's the teetering point right there. But it is right. a – I'm happy I was here for the um, for this division because it is – it's a tough one. I could see the difference between the first and fourth place teams being three games. You know, I could see the champ going 11 and six and the fourth place team going eight and nine. And I would be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that would be a tough way to go out for those third and fourth place teams. But that's, that's the, the NFL we live in. The parody is manufactured and it makes it into the most popular sport in America. All right, Chris, we were going to let you go. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, lending us your expertise and your humor. Listeners can decide which one they like more out of that. Yeah. Or you could just say 0 for 2, which is what most people uh, say. I mean, I'm already batting zero on the day with the uh, the lower thirds. So 
you know. Fair I, point. Listen, fair point. Good what catch, type of jerk way. would call you out on that? Sean, don't yeah. ever do that again. Yeah, partner. I can't believe you, Sean. My That's God. horrible. I'm the horror worst, though. I know. Yeah, I'm the worst. <laughs> yeah. How's All our right. buddy Baker doing down there in Tampa, by the way? Oh, yeah, let's do this. Ooh. Why not? Ooh, ah, uh, yeah, about that. Uh, not So not great. Um, He's not accurate, but he is also not good yeah. Yeah. so yeah so did, he makes up his lack of accuracy with being slow exactly so, so so day one of training camp today i'm sweating you know what off and i go yeah. inside to get a little ac to start uh building my rundown i left my intern outside my intern has a very good knowledge of football baseball everything like this is what he loves he loves the nuts and bolts and the x's and o's and i was right. like perfect watch practice and tell me what happens come back out about 20 minutes later and i said all right what i miss he goes this offense is not going to be good. I said, ah. I said, why? He said, both Baker and Kyle Trask are bad today. And Trask was better, actually. I was like, oh, well, that's not good. Well, listen, I will say this as a Browns fan, that I, I never had any ill will toward Baker. I thought he looked a challenging situation right in the eye. Did he do everything great on the field and off of it? Absolutely not. Were there issues? A thousand percent. But he did give us one of the most exciting seasons that we've seen in decade. Uh, he gave my kids something excited to be, you know, um, something exciting for a football season instead of getting ready for Guardian spring training. Because I know in the 80s when I was growing up, we won the division five times and we're on the cusp of the Super Bowl three of those years. It's some of my greatest memories as a sports fan. So at least for my kids to see a playoff appearance and then a win. They're like, whoo, is this what it's like? It's like <laughs> it's even better sometimes. <laughs> even better. Chris, remind me and, and Sean real quick of how the Steelers were in that period. Real quick. Well, I did see one of my first Brown Steelers games that I went to. This is post-Super Bowl fourteen. So the Browns were starting to get there and the Steelers were kind of at the tail end. Yeah. Bradshaw had had kind of run his course and all these guys, you know, those great teams that just weren't great. But um, my mom walked me out of the stadium when they when there was a Steelers fan who took one of those. Remember those triangular felt pennants? You could probably find yeah. them somewhere. OK, yeah. took a Browns pennant in Cleveland Municipal Stadium and lit it on fire. And I think not the fan idea. base did the same to him. <laughs> and so that was my kind of my introduction to this beautiful rivalry. And so I was like, yeah, mom was not pleased. No, of course not. I, I'll say this too. Uh, on the national scale, I feel like the Brown Steelers rivalry, I mean, it lost a lot of juice over the last 20 years, but when it's ramped up, it's still one of the best. And um, when the Browns moved in 95, I was just starting my TV on air TV career in Reno, Nevada. I went home uh, for the Browns-Steelers game. And one of the coolest things ever were all these Steelers fans that were wearing orange armbands. They're like, what are we going to do without you? Like, we hate you, but we really want to... That's cool, you actually. Yeah. It, was, it was so nice. It Little was did really... they know that the rivalry yeah. would continue and grow over the years. I, I would never wear a purple armband. Couldn't catch no. me dead. Yeah, no. nope. see that? Probably that's the not. point. That's my point right there. You see what he said? He didn't say, I would never wear an orange armband. I would never wear a purple armband. 
That's yep. the problem. Is, that's the that's, problem. Nope. That's the color I don't mess with. <sighs> yep. I agree. I got it. It's got to change. Listen, guys, this was fun. Uh, yeah. Good luck down there in Tampa. Sean, stay, thank you, thank stay you. cool and maybe watch an occasional practice instead of having your intern do all your grunt work. Uh, uh, Nick, you know. I will see you at some point out here, I would imagine, or in Cleveland or something else. Yeah. And yeah, if you want me to really come back and break down the NFC West, I will. No, we'll run it back, even though we already did it, just for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Chris. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers, guys. See ya. All right. That was fantastic. That was that fantastic. That was fantastic. Love having Thank Chris you to on. Chris for stopping by. That was awesome. It's one of the I best. Love when we can, yeah, I love when we can get a good guest on to break down. And he was really knowledgeable. Um, and I thought he was going to go, like, you know, balls to the wall about the Browns, but not the case. Oh, let me no, let me he, switch back. Hold on. Hold he, on. Let me switch back. Okay. He's measured. I know you can't hear me right now, but for the rest of the crowd, he he's measured. Going back he's, to the creamsicle hat. Incredibly intelligent. He has decades of experience. And exa- I love talking ball with him just because he brings things to the table that I never even consider. Yeah, you know, a lot of my colleagues are like that, but Chris especially, you know, he comes from – uh, you know, the same kind of background as me. Um, you know, this Northeast Ohio life. He's a guy from uh, suburban Cleveland, so he gets it. Uh, Big B's been chiming in left and right here. Uh, some of the points he made, Sean, you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, honestly, I'd rank Pickett higher than Watson, Big B says. Now, now. He probably also ranked Jordan Love better than both of them, but yes, that's neither here nor there. Yes, that. And he also, his point of reference, maybe not the best, because he said Najee is a dog, plays almost like Derrick Henry on Madden. At least. On Madden, at least. <laughs> I like that. That might be his best comment yet. He also said uh, Sean looks like he's about to spit some bars. Sean, don't rap. Please don't rap. No, 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 no. Do no, not no. rap. Thank I haven't you. done it in a long time. Uh, what do you say we uh, switch gears, Nick? Let's switch gears to the segment that Big B properly called out. It is America's favorite game show, and we're back for another rousing edition of... Do you even know? Today, without Katie here, Sean is going to be the one tasked with doing all the quizzing. He is the Alex Trebek to my... Uh, maybe Ken Jennings, but probably not. Um, more like the guy who loses immediately. That's probably what's going to happen. Sean, what is our topic today? Our topic today, Nick, is... The lovely city of Tampa, Florida, and its oh. rich sports tradition. Okay, I take it easy on you today. Uh, so we got the first answer. The first answer is Wade Boggs. There you go. No, that is not the first answer. Uh, the first question I got for you is real simple. Okay, uh, where do the Tampa Bay Rays play their baseball? Tropicana Field. In in. Do you want me the city? Yes, I want the city. Um, isn't it St. Petersburg? It is St. Petersburg. Hey. Thank you. So many people around the country say there's something going on in Tampa. And I'm like, they, they don't play in Tampa. They, they play in St. Petersburg. And it was really oh, annoying. Sean, semantics. At the start. Semantics, schmantics. But these two cities right now are embroiled in a, in a dogfight over the future of the Rays and who gets to call them their team. Uh, regardless. That's neither here nor there. You know what? Well, Question. actually, can we? Can I just like make a complaint here, real quick, while we're here? Uh, can we just call it Tampa and not Tampa Bay, for God's sake? Like, no, because you are. But don't if play you just, in the water. 
But Tampa Bay is the area. It oh, is okay. the area. And we can't say the Bay Area because most people would assume we're just referring to San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, Santa well, Clara. The basketball all that. team there calls it Golden State. Golden State. So let's no, so it's Tampa Bay State. because. Oh, my God. The Sunshine State Rays. <laughs> Ah, I kind of like that actually. It works. But now, but now that there are actually more professional teams in here, which gets me to my second question, Nick. Back in 1988, Tampa Bay almost got the first professional Major League Baseball team in the state of Florida. Do you even know what team in 1988 had to hold a literal midnight vote that did not pass to come to Tampa Bay? Which baseball team was that, Nick? Oh, uh, 1988. Um, oh, this is tough because I, first I thought you said you were going to say what expansion team follow, which is the Florida Marlins. But um, which team held a midnight vote to avoid moving to uh, Tampa? Correct. Funny story about this is um, the, the vote was the, the, the vote, whether it was done at midnight or not, this team was coming. And apparently they literally took the clocks off the wall at 11.59, so midnight never came. Hell yeah, stopping time eternally. Clock stoppers. Yeah. It was the Minnesota Twins. It was not the Minnesota Twins. This team was going to be named the Florida White Sox. Oh. Oh. Think about it. It makes makes sense, though. They they wanted a new stadium, and Comiskey 2 was built like four years after that. Yeah. Oh, massive oversight. Although you could have guessed Baltimore too, but they were never moving. Okay. True. All right. All right. It's one for one though. And the first one was kind of easy. I just want to start off with that. Question number three. Like Nick, this. before Raymond James Stadium, the Buccaneers played in Tampa Stadium. Had no shade, had aluminum seating, so I'm sure it was a lovely Sunday afternoon, you know, place to watch a game. Demon now. What Tampa Bay sports fans affectionately called that stadium back in the day? The Big Sombrero. The Big Sombrero. Hey, two out of three, baby. Two out of three. I feel like it took it easy on you this time around, but really, I I didn't have much else today. Honestly, (laughs) Big B chimes in. His answer is they called it hell. Hell. (laughs) Probably felt like it. Yeah, we still don't have imagine. any shade over over Raymond James Stadium either. I that that's that's beside. I mean that baffles me still to this day. Every team in Florida should either have a dome and or shade like the Dolphins do. Dolphins did a great job. Every team Dolphins should follow did a suit, great I job. Agree. Although Absolutely. just don't just don't build a terrible park like Tampa did yeah. with the baseball team. That's that's a soft spot, Sean. But it is all right. Uh, now do? let's now let's shift gears next. I never even put the lower third up. I'm just struggling right now. Jeez. You are. All right, let's shift gears anyway over to the wonderful world of Formula One. Sean, what did we do last weekend in Formula One? Where did we go? We what went we to Budapest in Hungary for the Hungarian Grand Prix. And uh, this was supposed to be the time where... You know, McLaren was supposed to come back down to earth. They were supposed to prove, oh, their their car is really only good at, you know, fast tracks with fast to medium corners. Not the case. Lando Norris bagging himself a P2, Max Verstappen collecting his seventh straight win, Red Bull winning their 12th straight race, eclipsing a record set by McLaren back in 1988, and then finishing on the podium for the first time in what feels like, I don't know, since like Bahrain 2020. 
was Sergio Perez. So ready, uh, Red Bull double podium, good for them. Uh, I like the podium, but there was a lot to break down in this race because Red Bull was good as always, but they did not get pole. Lewis Hamilton was on pole. So again, that Red Bull, Red Bull car is having a little bit of trouble with their speed over one lap. And I think, what, one to 10 was separated by five tenths of a second? Yeah. It was a very close qualifying. Well, that, can you explain why, though? No, I can't. I'm not an engineer. Um, they did an experimental tire thing where they required everybody to run hard. <laughs> like, uh, and everyone was like, this tire sucks, but it worked. It was really close. You got a, you got an unusual uh, uh, Q3. I think it was hards in Q1 and 2 or something like that because I think they finished on soft, but they made them. It, they, were, they were testing out what they want to bring to the regulations in the future where you have to require a specific compound for every team which I think kind of takes some of the the strategy out of it. But at the same time, it also makes it interesting because that's the, that's the tire that usually levels them out the most, right? Like the, the faster car yeah. is not going to be quite as fast and hard as it is on a soft. But yeah, we got some stunners. We got Lewis Hamilton on the pole. We got Joe Guan Yu into Q3 before he oh. blew it on Sunday. Oh, uh, man. That was bad. <laughs> that was so bad. Just watching the cars pass him. It was embarrassing almost, and then he Old just yeets into the back of Daniel Ricardo in his his debut. See, that would have if Daniel Ricardo was in a McLaren, he would have been out at turn one. Yet somehow he's in a, an Alpha Tower and survives that, and goes on to finish the race and finish ahead of Yuki Sonoda. My biggest takeaways from this race, though, were obviously I think McLaren is here to stay for a while at least until other teams bring upgrades. But this version of the McLaren car, it is right now the second fastest. But if you look at what Ferrari did, they were really fast too, especially Carlos at the start of that race on softs. Those Ferraris had some speed and they just messed it up once again with strategy and then a really slow pit stop uh, for Charles Leclerc and speeding in the pit lanes as well. So they kind of undid themselves yet again you know, rinse, repeat, it's Ferrari. But then at the end of the race, how fast were those Mercedes on low fuel? Flying. They were flying. Like the, they uh, were flying. What was Russell's last overtake? Who did he get around? Uh, he would have gotten around one of the he did it on the start finish Ferraris? straight. It was the, one of the Ferraris. And it was like, yeah. no, there was no challenge at all. It was just a matter no, of like the DRS wing opening and just going. Like they were cooking at the end. They... And I don't want to shift off McLaren and like your topics real quick, but this is a natural transition. I don't know what Mercedes is. Like you, neither do I. You win pole and quality, and you just can't put it together in the race. And some weeks Lewis complains about the car, and other weeks George is not great, or neither is great. And then other weeks they're very competitive. Like if I if I had to put stock or trust in one team that's in the midfield closer toward the top, Mercedes is probably the last. Well, no, Ferrari's the last. Ferrari's always going to be the last. But like Mercedes is right there with him just because the lack of consistency. It's like they're flirting with being back up there and they just can't quite yeah. put it together. One week it's qualifying is great. The next week the race is really good. They just can't put it all together uh, over the whole weekend. And it's frustrating to see because when they finish like that, you're like, see, this is the potential of this car. Right. It's, I almost feel like it was McLaren of a few years, like what, 2020 McLaren? Like yeah, they just they couldn't quite lot. get there. Yeah, what I also want to say, speaking of McLaren, just one more note on them. I, I think they're here to stay. I don't like how everyone is coming at them saying what they did to Oscar Piastri was unfair. How they pitted Lando first, even though the start that Oscar Piastri had, getting ahead of both phenomenal. Lando and Lewis, that yeah. was phenomenal. Here is your flowers, Oscar Piastri. 
What happened, though, is they pit Lando first. He gets new tires, and then he has the outlap of all outlaps. Well, yeah, he had the undercuts plus an incredible outlap, yeah. He gains eight-tenths of a second on his teammate and just beats him as Oscar was coming out of the pits. It's, It's to no fault of McLaren's. They didn't really give Lando any preferential treatment there. And then they were kind of validated in it because Oscar didn't have a good second stint out there. Um, had a little damage to the car as well. So it it was the right call, and Lando winds up on the podium for his second straight race. First time McLaren have gotten back-to-back podiums since 2012. But, man, that driver lineup, if they can keep it together, that's going to be really good going forward. Well, and, and, you know, in defense of McLaren, too, Piastri had a two-second flat pit stop. <laughs> they did yeah. everything they possibly they, they, could. They they literally broke records and did everything they could, and Lando yeah. still just beat them out, which shows and, how strong Lando is right now. And it, and it came that yeah because that outlap because I mean even when he came out of the pit it was neck and neck. It's just that Lando had the speed going and the grip. You know the tires were at temperature going to that corner where he was able to get around him. But man, isn't it great? It's so refreshing. It gives me hope. It helps me get out of bed every morning. When I sometimes I wake up and I'm like, man, I don't want to do anything that I have to do today. But you know what? If McLaren can turn their car into a rocket ship almost over, McLaren can I, go from last place can, to second place. Then I can get out of bed and aggregate this NFL news. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad the Papaya Army is giving you hope, Nick. It's fun, man. Uh, I like. I love seeing Lando succeed because he's one of the most enjoyable young characters in the sport that people probably don't pay attention to, unless unless you have a luxury brand and happen to slap his advertisement on the walls of Cleveland Hopkins Airport Terminal C. Because I walk by that every time I fly out of Cleveland, and it's changed since the last time I saw it. Now he's in a different pose, but he's still there, still the face he's of still whatever. There. No, I know. Yeah, in airport shop that is. Um, and, and I feel like he should get more promotion because he's. I think he's one of those magnetic personalities that can be the future face of F one. And I know this is making you giddy inside hearing me say this, but, but it's fun. Like it's fun to have another team that's like legitimately fast that maybe could compete with Red Bull a little bit. Now I will say. Perez McLaren is saving this <laughs> F1 season, not because they're going to compete yeah. with Red Bull, but because they're competing with Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Mercedes. We know Red Bull is going to run away with the title. We know Max is going to run away with the title, but we don't know who's going to finish in that two, three, four, five category because there are four teams that right now look like they are on equal footing, and that is fun to watch. Well, it makes it makes for a really interesting back half of the schedule because... Yeah. And now I'm going to be bummed with the summer break. Not going to lie. When that yeah. comes, I'm like, damn, I wish there was more races. Take my mind off of football. Uh, yeah. Because all, I, all I'll be doing is football 24-7. I want some racing to distract me. But uh, it, it's, it's a fun little story. It's, what's really interesting is to see, can they push their car to the next level through the break? Or did they like empty the clip right now and this is the car? And even if that's the case, they're still competitive through the rest of the season. It's fun to see Oscar Piastri's driving chops actually get the exposure that he deserved because like oftentimes we go through silly season. We talk about guys like Nick DeVries and guys like Piastri and Logan Sargent and even Colton Herta, who didn't even get to make the jump over to F1 because of the super license issue. You never really see their potential necessarily because they're in inferior machinery. But once that car gets moved up to a competitive state, suddenly you're like, damn, that's a damn good driver. Now I see what they were talking about because we don't have access to to the data from a simulator or something like that. We're seeing it in the race and we are really seeing it with Oscar Piastri. He's the most exciting rookie since I've started watching because he is in a car that can compete for podiums right now. Okay. Um, bring this to the next question here, Sean. Um, could they catch Ferrari or Aston Martin? Uh, we saw a lot of the season left. 
We have a lot of the season left. I think we have 10 races left. Uh, yeah, I believe that, that was, I'm looking I believe at we have 10 races left. Oh, can uh, I also say real quick, uh, F1 fix your, uh, user interface in your website. Like, yeah, for real, this site's hard to navigate. Maybe it's just an American lack of ability, but ugh. anyway. So still just a little, a, a hair under half a season left, 80 points behind Ferrari in the past three races. Ferrari has finished with 17 points. McLaren has finished with, oh, I'm sorry, this is past two races. Ferrari has finished with 17. McLaren has finished with 58. If they continue at that pace, yes, they can catch Ferrari. I don't know about Aston Martin because all of those Alonso podiums at the beginning of the year, it's not out of the realm of possibility. McLaren could be fighting in Abu Dhabi if they continue this pace for P3 in the Constructors' Championship. And wouldn't what, that be something? What's the range that they have to get within when we get down to the last four races of the season? Because right now they're 97 points behind in the Constructors. In, behind Aston Martin? Yes. Okay. What do you mean, what range? Like, so it's 184 to 87, 97-point difference, if my math is correct, and I was never good at math, so you can double-check me on that, just like Chris checked me on the lower thirds. But, uh... I like, do they got to get within like 40 points with four races left? Like where do they, how much ground do they need to make up before we get to that final month? I mean, technically you could go into the final race needing like 30 some points. I mean, all you need is a double DNF and then McLaren to go one, two, which okay. isn't going to happen. But like, yeah, we don't need yeah, but like, if, you're, if, you're within, <laughs> if you're within about like, yeah, 30, 40 points with, I want to say, uh, yeah, three, four races to go. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in golden territory because remember a couple of years ago when Max, quote unquote won his first title he was up by like 52 points i think with like four races to go three races to go and then lewis just started spouting off a couple of wins and uh we wound up with abu dhabi 2021 which we shall never mention again well that was the year of the uh what they call it the rocket or the rocket ship the final um, power unit that they were saving for last in mercedes and it immediately took off and and lewis yeah. you know went on that strong run to get to the final race yeah i mean um you're right. I guess that potential is there. I, I'm just curious to see because, I mean, you know, Zach Brown, the CEO of, of uh, McLaren, has always been known as a guy who it's like when you get a new principal at a private school and they're like, you know, his strength is fundraising and we could really use the fundraising from our alumni base and corporate, you know, partners or whatever. Uh, that's Zach Brown. He's got that car plastered in ads. Some of them tasteful, some of them not so much. They work better with alternate liveries. But what that means is cash is flowing in. And what can you do with the cash? You could spend it on developing the car within the cost cap limitations. And we've seen the results at this point. So I would imagine they got more money in the bank. They're probably not up against the cap yet, which means they could develop the car further. That comes I, down and to I think they, side. I think he's been asked, you know, is the car tapped out? And he said, oh, no, it's not tapped out yet. So I think they're going to bring more updates, mm -hmm. which doesn't always mean good things. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but so are other teams. So we'll see how it finishes down the line. Uh, let's my move interest. on to, yes. Let's move on to Spa. Spa. The yeah. We don't, we don't have any, we don't have any podium predictions because <laughs> I do. Uh, no, I'm talking about from last week because. Uh, oh, no, we didn't have any podium predictions because we, uh, we were busy. I went out of we were town. Busy. I had to be out of town for work and it just didn't fit. So we're going to move nah. on to Spa. Yeah. To uh, Spa. This is a place where rain has been a problem. Um, we remember, what was that, a couple of years ago with the, uh, was it last year or two years ago? Uh, that was 2021. Yeah, when we had the ceremonial two laps under a safety car and then half points awarded to everyone. It was basically just a qualifying and half points. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, George Russell and the points, baby. Let's go. Uh, 
hopefully we don't get rain this time around and they can actually race. I know they're working on ways to limit the spray and make it safer for guys to race in the rain, but that's not really, you know, figured out yet. The initial test came back with, uh, inconclusive results. Well, not inconclusive results, but results that weren't very encouraging. So they still have to work on that. So if it's raining, then it's going to be a problem. Hopefully there's no rain. Uh, Spa, one of the longer tracks in the F1 calendar. Uh, you look up the forecast right now. You'll see the lap times are a little bit longer because it's quite a journey through the uh, forest up there. Um, you have Eau Rouge there, uh, you know, the old uh, famed hill where it can be dangerous. A driver did lose his life up there uh, during the season at a lower uh, level of racing. So um, it is high octane, white knuckle racing for sure. There is opportunities to overtake. Um, oh boy. It's interesting. And the track has a lot of different elements to it. And Sean's got the forecast, and all I see is a radar. It's raining there now, but it's Wednesday. So Friday, high of 67, low of 60 with an 85% chance of rain. Oh. Saturday, 89% chance of rain. Oh. Sunday, 70% oh. chance of rain. Boy. So we're going to get some, I know, we're going to get some rain in spa. Uh. Um, it's, still, it's still a fun track, and if they can race in the rain, they'll be fine. Let me, uh, do you want to give your predictions first? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? You know, this kind of ties into what we were talking about. Here's my podium predictions. Um, go three, uh, two, one. Don't go one, two, three. Let's go three, two, one. Oh, but my exciting, my excitement's at the bottom of the podium. All right, screw it. You know what? Whatever. No, we'll go one, two, three. Because at this point, we all, all guarantee right. Max is going to win until his car blows up. Okay, like it's just it's it True. is what it yeah. is. Okay. True. But you know what, Sean? I'm doubling down. My last prediction freaking nailed it in Silverstone with Lando Norris P2. We're going to run that back. Lando Norris P2 again because, well, what has he done the last two races? P2 and P2. P2. Let's make it three in a row. P2 again, baby. Trifecta me. Who's in three? You said you were going to start at the bottom. P3. Sean, I'm fully invested in the Zach Brown train. Oscar Piastri, after finishing outside of the podium twice in his last two races, he finally gets over that hump. He's driving like he deserves it. P3, his first podium in his young career. For Mr. Oscar Piastri and Alpine cries tears into their uh, baguettes. I don't know. Let's do it. I like it. I like it. Good podium, Nick. Good podium. And I'm assuming you have Max on top? Yes, of course. Okay. What's your bold prediction? My bold prediction, Sean. Get excited. We saw a lot out of Alfa Romeo last week that we didn't think we might get. Oh, yes. Joe Guan Yu ends up in Q3. Nice placement there for the youngster, right? Okay. I'm going to go to his teammate there, Mr. Valtteri Bottas. He is going to finish in the top eight because they put new power units in the car. I don't think the car is that good, but if it rains, we know that the lesser cars tend to be a little bit better. Actually, this should be a Haas prediction because they're mutters, not uh, Alfa Romeo, but why not? Let's get the naked man back into the top 10, all the way into the top eight at P8. Why not? He's in there. Let's go. All right. All right. I'm going to go I'm going to go backwards, Nick. I'm going to start at P3. P3, I've got Checo Perez. Okay. Starting to do a little bit better. Uh that car was really fast at Silverstone. He just couldn't quite get there. Um it was fast and hungry. It's going to be fast everywhere, but I'm going with uh Checo P3. P2. I've got Lewis Hamilton because he has been flying lately. Had a bad start but you saw how good that car could be later on in the race there at the end. I mean, you know, he he could have caught Lando eventually, or Lando could have fallen back, I guess, behind Checo. Uh, P1. 
is Lando Norris. Mm, no Max in the podium. What's going on? It's time. Everything's getting on it's fire. It's time. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. Lando Norris is going to win his first F1 Grand Prix. You heard it on the Gridiron Podcast first. Uh, I don't. Th- I think. I think Max is going to have a DNF his first of the season. That's not my bold prediction, but I guess it is kind of a bold prediction. I'll give you two. One, Max has a DNF. I think at this point, Max is like, I'm leading not only the drivers' championship but the constructors' championship. Uh, I've got a uh, yacht waiting for me in the Mediterranean. Can I check out of this race early? Okay, cool. Yeet. Uh, my bold prediction, Nick, we are going to have, and you yelled at me last time I gave this prediction, so I'm going to amend it this time around. We are going to have a double Williams point finish. All right. Who's finishing ahead of who in Williams? Alex Albon is going to finish ahead of Logan Sargent, but Logan was having a good race last week, even though that car is terrible at Hungary. He was having a good race until the final lap where he just yeeted it over a curb and spun, and then they retired him. But he was having a good race, and he's had a couple of good races in a row, undone last week, like I said, with one mistake. So I think he's going to put it all together that Williams is good at tracks that have medium to fast speed corners. That is Spa. Give me Williams to finish in the points. Double points finish. You know, Sean, I'm glad you went down this road because our comment section has been lighting up with our most loyal viewer, Big B, who actually can only remember the name of one driver in F1, and this just goes to show how much you talk about this man, that is Logan Sargent. He said Logan Sargent for MVP. He asked Logan Sargent, any relation to Steve Largent, which is funny. Good joke there. He's got more. His prediction, Logan Sargent will take P2. Oh, my God. He's lighting it up. Logan the man, Big B says. George Russell did it in Williams in 2021. America, America. Sean loves Logan Sargent. I got to root for the Florida boy, man. Come on. Yes. Yes, you do. Well, that's, that is quite bold, my friend. We'll see if it comes to fruition. I'm already feeling regretful about my bold prediction. But then again, this is the game where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. Let's transition to our final We segment. do not trademark that at all. No, no, no. Uh, I should have said it backward. All right. Hate it or love it, Sean. What is your hate? My hate is getting sick at the most inopportune times. I've been fighting a little head cold over the past week, and I'm due to go on vacation tomorrow uh, to my parents' place in Delaware with my girlfriend and my brother, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm on the other side of it. I can feel myself getting better with every hour, but it's kind of like I still you can hear it. I got that nasally little just sound, and I just I, I hate it because now I got to go lay on a beach with a stuffy nose, and that can't be fun. So <sighs> getting sick at the worst possible times, it's just a nagging, ugh, I hate it. I hate maybe, it so much. Maybe the uh, salty sea breeze will clear out your maybe, sinuses. Maybe, yeah. No better tonic than ocean spray. I don't know. That's actually a juice company i'm not sure uh my hate i don't really have much of a hate um maybe that's a good sign that things have been just going quite well i'm not sure um but my hate from today as i was trying to get back here in time to do the show slow drivers uh if you're gonna make the the lane change make the damn lane change use your signal and if you're not going to use your signal don't meander from one lane to another don't almost veer into my lane get off your phone pay attention to the road 
Get that snapshot from Progressive that monitors your phone activity while you drive so you'll keep your phone down so you can save money on your car insurance. This show not sponsored by Progressive, but if you are interested... You are literally just like quoting all of these commercials right now. We're going to get sued. But if you are interested, feel free to hit us up. We are open for business. Uh, so that's my hate. Get, get Drive better, people. This is a racing podcast. Follow suit, please. All right, what's your love? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that was... That's not that's not the cold. That was water just kind of going down my the wrong pipe. Uh, my love is, huh? I did, I thought I had a love. Do you have a love? Oh, I, go got, first? I got two loves, baby. I'll um, go for it. You go first. All right. So I'm in LA last week for the talent summit at the network, and um, uh, when you fly to LA from Cleveland, there's one direct on United, which Cleveland's a United hub, and uh, it's the red eye or it's the first flight out. So. Took the first flight out. That worked out great. Got a nap at the hotel when I got there. Everything worked great. But the flight back, well, you know, the summit, things ended at about 12.30, 1 o'clock. I had a lot of time to kill. Luckily, I used to live out there and had a rental car. So I decided to drive to the old neighborhood. Stopped by my favorite sushi place up the road from my old apartment. Stopped by uh, there. Ah, this story. Stopped by there. My uh, landlord has not done a damn thing different to the exterior of the apartment, which is no surprise to me. Uh, and got some sushi, got some boba. Actually had to buy two boba to hit the credit card limit uh, or the minimum. And then I drove down to the beach and I said, you know what, I'm going to go walk on the pier and just check out the ocean for a little bit. Well, that got boring after a while. So I walked up to the nearest bar along the water, uh, along the beach there in Washington Square, just south of Venice Beach. It is known as the Venice Whaler. Very popular bar. Sat down at the bar, had myself a cold one. Sitting there, just kind of browsing, scrolling my phone, watching whatever random tennis matches on the TV, just waiting for the time to pass. We asked I for your love, not a novel, Nick. I discovered that I'm bad at killing time, but what helped was a nice man sat down next to me and saw my Red Bull hat and said, oh, are you a Verstappen fan? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm from the Netherlands. And I went, oh, no way. We sat there for the next 45 minutes to an hour talking F1. He became a new fan of baseball now that he's moved to the States. And uh, it was a great time. So my love is getting to meet strangers and hitting it off with them and making a new friend. So shout out to Perry, the Dutch man from the Netherlands, probably in L.A. or San Diego right now. Definitely not watching this podcast or listening to it later. Thank you for your company, man. It was a great time. Help me uh, pass the time before we got to to, uh, to go to LAX. And my other love, Sean, since you I don't know if you have yours or not, is uh, since this is going to be a long winded segment here. Um, uh, I came back and woke up yesterday to Bridget playing a, a video on her phone of Kyle Brandt from NFL Network and Good Morning Football talking about me. And I was like, what is this? She plays it for me. I just oh, roll over. Oh, the video was the best. I just rolled over and I would play it here, but we'd get DMCA'd, so I'm not going to. You can find it on Twitter. Oh, I, was, I, quote I, was, tweeted it. I was hoping you would. I, I would, but I don't want to get taken down. Um, <laughs> and I, I just hear him talking. I roll over and my first words were, Oh, God. Just because, like, I don't know. You never expect that to happen. He went on a full rant. Uh, it was it was great. And I appreciate the shout-out, Kyle. He's a great guy. Uh, it was great to see all those people. It was great to see Chris and everybody else out at the summit. Um, great to connect with coworkers. When you're a remote employee, you feel like you're kind of on an island sometimes. So that was a nice little uh, cherry on top of that uh, talent convergence sun Sunday. Uh, nice, tasty little dessert there. Sean, what's your love? I remember what my love was, and it's – and we are not sponsored by Uber or Lyft, but it's the Uber or Lyft XLs, okay? Oh. I have always, I mean, you when you get a, a ride share, you don't, you automatically just get the cheapest and quickest option, right? Like yeah. you don't, like you just, all right, I need to go. You don't care who it is. When I came up to Cleveland last week, Nick, 
to the airport, the quickest one, the one that would get me there faster was an Uber XL. I was like, all right, it's five bucks more, who cares, whatever. Then when we got back from the airport, same thing. All right, it's five bucks more. Who cares? Like it's five bucks, man. You can you we, we are we are both at points in our lives where we could go. Oh, it's just an extra five bucks. I think I'm going to continue to say that because the difference between some of the Ubers that I have had that are not the XL or the Black or whatever, like the more premium version is, some of them have been pretty bad. Okay, but these were air conditioned leather seats. They had mints. For an extra five bucks. For just an extra five bucks. I think I'm sold and also the extra leg room. I'm not in the back of someone's Prius, like with my knees in their passenger side chair. So I think I'm now on the train where I'm gonna spend the extra five bucks because my experiences with the, the more premium option of ride sharing is just, I've liked it so far. I think I'm gonna do that from now on. You know, that's good love. Uh, I'm on the same page as you. I took an Uber uh, back home on Saturday night from the flats and um, and the guy had an iPad with trivia on the back headrest of the of the passenger seat. Oh, I was so engrossed in this game. We got to my house, and Bridget gets out of the car, and I'm still sitting there. I have the door open. I'm like halfway out of the car, and I'm just like, ah, "That's France. Uh, that's the Eiffel Tower. Uh, uh, that that's Greenland. Uh, uh, Richard Nixon." <laughs> just one after another, just nailing it to the point where I was like, "All right, get out of the car." It was fun. I like it when they add those amenities. You usually get those in the XL, so I'm right there with you. Give him that fat tip, man. I did. I gave him an extra dollar. All right. That does it. This has been <laughs> episode 10 of the Gridiron Pie. We can't tip too much, Sean. Episode 10 of the Gridiron Pie. I spent Podcast. the extra five bucks on the XL. That's your tip. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. We'll go with that. I'm Nick Shook. That's Sean Barry. This has been a fun episode. Thank you again to Chris Rose from NFL Network and John Boy Media. Follow him at Chris Rose Sports on Twitter and on Threads. Sean, are you on Threads yet? I'm not on threads. I'm on X. No, what? Uh, yeah, whatever the bird app is called now. The bird letter app. Yeah, uh, we'll go with that. Get on threads, Sean, so I can mention you with, when I share this content. Uh, as a reminder, like, share this podcast. Give us a review. You don't have to give us five stars. Just give us a review. It helps us gain visibility, well, attract a larger give us audience. Like one. Jesus. I mean, give us your honest opinion. If you hate us, you hate us. I mean, well, if you hate us, just, just stop following it yeah if you don't, hate us don't don't give us you don't need you to know. go don't go don't go score yeah, don't, don't worry about it don't worry yeah. about us then don't worry about us but yeah do that for us all right all right that's sean i'm nick this has been episode 10 and sean we will pt oh wait no we don't do that anymore as always for nick shook i'm sean barry live life in the fast lane folks see ya